It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's a new episode with the Murder Bucket Podcast. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome to Tuesday. We have a mini episode tonight, so let's go ahead and get started. We are talking about the Abervan disaster. Abervan, Wales is a former coal mining village located toward the bottom of the Western Valley slope of the River Taft. Originally, Abervan had two cottages and an inn that was frequented by local farmers and bargemen. This was until August of 1869 when John Nixon and his partners started the Merthyr Vale Colliery. According to Google.com, a colliery is defined as a coal mine and the buildings and equipment associated with it. So who was John Nixon? John was born in Gateshead, England, to a tenant farmer in the village. He attended the local village school and later the academy at Newcastle-on-Tyne. He quit school at the age of 14 to become a farmer, but left that job shortly after starting to become apprentice of Joseph Gray, who was a chief mining engineer. Several years later, he became the mining engineer at an English company working a coal and iron field in France. Shortly after receiving this position, he quit and moved back to England. He then started a business of his own, which began taking him to Wales, where he chartered a small vessel and took a cargo of hundreds of tons of coal to France and distributed it among the sugar refineries. When his business began to fail, he obtained assistance with the Navigation Colliery in Mountain Ash, which became the first true deep pit in South Wales. By 1896, Nixon's Navigation Coal Company had employed 1,558 men and had an output of 1.2 million tons of coal a year. John Nixon died on June 3, 1899 in Hyde Park, London. Transportation in Abervan is serviced by the Mirtha Vale Railway Station, as well as the Taft Trail, which is a long-distance cycle route and footpath, and the main A470 road. The nearest road junction is four miles north of the village. Abervan has several places of worship, which include the Bethania Welsh Independent Chapel, built in 1876, the Calvinistic Methodist Chapel, built in 1876, as well as two smaller chapels. The former Smyrna Baptist Chapel that was built in 1876 is currently closed and used as a community center. There is also the Zion Methodist Chapel that was built in 1891. Abervan only has two schools in the village. I tried to learn how to pronounce both of the schools in the village, but was unable to do so, so I will put the information in the show notes if you're interested. Now we're going to talk about the Abervan disaster that occurred on October 21, 1966, and claimed the lives of 144 people. 
1966, there were seven tips that contained approximately 2.6 million cubic yards of coal waste. Tip stability is greatly affected by water conditions. Abervan has a high amount of rainfall, averaging about 60 inches a year. In the first three weeks of October, there had been 6.5 inches of rainfall. Because of the heavy rainfall, the peak of tip number seven subsided by 9 to 10 feet, and the rails on which the spoil was transported to the top of the tip fell, resulting in a hole. At 7.30 a.m. on October 21st, the movement of tip number seven was discovered by a member of the morning shift who manned the tips. This person walked to the colliery to report the issue and returned with a supervisor. The supervisor then decided that no work could be completed that day and a new tipping position would be decided later on. At 9.15 a.m., a large amount of water-saturated debris broke away from tip number seven and flowed down the hill at 12 to 21 miles per hour with waves 20 to 30 feet high. It's estimated that 140,000 cubic yards of debris slid down the mountain. The debris destroyed two farm cottages and killed the occupants inside. Roughly 50,000 cubic yards then traveled across the canal and railway embankment into the village. Two water mains were destroyed by the avalanche. It then struck Pankless Junior School, demolishing and engulfing the entire structure and filling classrooms with mud, sludge, and rubble. 109 children and five adults were killed. The school adjacent was damaged. 18 homes on surrounding roads were also destroyed. Other homes were flooded by mud and water, which forced many people to evacuate. As soon as the slide stopped, it re-solidified and became hard. When the avalanche stopped, so did the noise. The mound was over 30 feet high. Local residents rushed to the area and began digging through the rubble, many using their hands or garden tools that they had nearby. At 9.25 a.m., Mirtha Tidville police had been notified of the landslide. The fire brigade was notified immediately after, as well as local hospitals, ambulance services, and the local Civil Defense Corps. The first miners of the colliery arrived within 20 minutes after coming back up to the surface. They directed the early digging to help prevent a collapse of the spoil as well as remnants of the buildings. At 9.50 a.m., St. Tedville's Hospital received the first casualties. The remaining rescued casualties arrived before 11 a.m. This included 22 children and five adults. Nine more casualties were sent to the East Glen Morgan General Hospital. No survivors were found after 11 a.m. At 10.30 a.m., the BBC News summary began with the story of the accident. This resulted in thousands of volunteers traveling to Abervan to help with the rescue and recovery efforts. Because two water mains had been broken in the avalanche, the slip continued to move through the village. Water authorities were unable to turn off the supply until 11.30 a.m. It took over two hours to reroute the water to a safer place. The National Coal Board's chairman, Lord Robins, was informed of the disaster and decided to send the company's Director General of Productions and its Chief Safety Engineer. They were sent to further inspect the situation. 
The Secretary of State of Wales, Cledwin Hughes, contacted the current Prime Minister, Harold Wilson, to confirm his arrival time. He arrived at 9.40 p.m., where he spoke with police and civil defense forces to receive reports, and then he visited rescue workers. Wilson and Hughes agreed that a high-level independent inquiry needed to be held. The mayor of Myrtle Tidville launched an appeal for financial donations to alleviate the financial hardships and to help rebuild the area. Bethania Chapel was set up as a makeshift mortuary and operated until November 4th. Several members of the Glam Morgan Constabulary Force assisted with identification and registration of the victims. Glam Morgan Constabulary was the home office police force for the county of Glam Morgan, Wales. Two doctors were tasked with examining the bodies and issuing death certificates. The causes of death that were written on the certificates were asphyxia, fractured skull, or multiple crush injuries. Because of the confined space at the chapel, only one parent at a time was allowed inside to identify the bodies of their children. 400 embalmers volunteered to assist with the cleaning and dressing of the bodies. A plane that flew over from Northern Ireland removed the seats of their plane to transport child-sized coffins. The Calvinistic chapel was used as a second mortuary once the main one had become overcrowded. The morning after the disaster, 111 bodies had been recovered, 51 of which had been identified. Early that morning, Lord Snowden, Prince Margaret's husband, arrived and spoke with the workers and parents. By the afternoon, Prince Philip arrived and visited the scene and spoke with rescue workers. The National Coal Board's chairman, Lord Robins, arrived in the evening and after he visited the colliery and the disaster site, he held a press conference. During this, he stated that the National Coal Board would work with the public inquiry. Two days after the disaster, the Army Reserve joined the rescue and recovery efforts. The funeral for five of the children took place within a couple of days after the disaster. Then, a mass funeral for 81 children and one woman took place on October 27th. They were buried in a pair of 80-foot-long trenches. It is estimated that 10,000 people attended the mass funeral. Because of the vast quantity of the spoil, it took over a week to recover all of the bodies. The final body was found on October 28th. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip visited Abervan together on October 28th to pay their respects to those that lost their lives. It is stated in townandcountrymag.com that Queen Elizabeth was made aware of the disaster shortly after it happened, but she waited eight days to visit, which she said to regret immensely. Sir William Hellestine, who served in the Royal Press Office, stated this in the documentary Elizabeth Our Queen. Abervan affected the Queen very deeply. When she went there, it was one of the few occasions in which she shed tears in public. Lord Snowden is quoted in an article from October 2006 on walesonline.co.uk stating, When I heard the news of the disaster on the wireless, I felt I should be there because I was Welsh and thought the Welsh should stick together. So I just got on a train and went straight there. When you've got a disaster like that, the last thing you want to be is in the way. People were still very much in shock. So you fade into the background and make cups of tea, never coffee, show your respect, and listen. People wanted to talk. 
I didn't really do anything at all. I felt quite useless, actually. I was a fellow parent, so I could relate to the terrible grief that those who had lost children were going through. It was horrific seeing the loss of all those innocent young children. Life seemed so unfair. I remember feeling very grateful that my own were safe and well. It was a very humbling experience. The Secretary of State for Wales appointed a tribunal to inquire into the disaster. On November 2nd, the inquiry had its first public meeting and took evidence in public for 76 days. During this, 136 witnesses testified. Abervan's Member of Parliament gave evidence that he had concerns for a long time that the tip would slide into the village, but had not spoken up because he was afraid, if he did, the colliery would be shut down. The tribunal stated that they doubted whether or not he understood the full implication of his own statement. The hearings were concluded on April 28, 1967, and published their report on August 3rd. They found that blame belongs to the National Coal Board and is shared with the National Coal Board headquarters, the Southwestern Divisional Board, and certain individuals. They also stated that the legal liability of the National Coal Board to pay compensation for the personal injuries and damage is incontestable. No one from the National Coal Board was ever prosecuted as a consequence of the disaster. Initially, the National Coal Board offered bereaved families 50 euros in compensation, but this was raised to 500 euros for each bereaved family. The organization called the amount a good offer. Many families thought the amount was insufficient. A disaster fund was then set up by the mayor of Mirtha Tidville, and it grew rapidly. Within just a few months, almost 88,000 contributions had been received, totaling in 1.75 million euros. A deed was drawn up that outlined the purposes of the fund as follows. For the relief of all persons who have suffered as a result of the said disaster and are thereby in need. Subject, as foresaid, for any charitable purpose for the benefit of persons who were inhabitants of Abervan and its immediate neighborhood on the 21st day of October. With the absence of laws and regulations governing mine and query spoil tips, the government framed new legislation. Mines and Queries Act 1969 was an act to make further provision in relation to tips associated with mines and queries. It was to prevent disused tips constituting a danger to members of the public and for purposes connected with those matters. The act was an extension of the earlier Mines and Queries Act of 1954, which did not legislate over tips. In 1973, the Abervan Memorial Garden was built and opened by Queen Elizabeth II. The garden sits on the site where the school once was and includes stone walls to show where the classroom stood. The Abervan Memorial Charity oversees the upkeep and provides financial assistance to those who suffered as a result of the disaster. The colliery was closed in 1989. The Welsh government made a donation of 1.5 million euros to the memorial charity and the education charity that was created later on. Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip visited the memorial garden in 1997 to plant a tree. At the 50th anniversary of the disaster, the Prince of Wales represented Queen Elizabeth II to pay tribute during the events that took place. 
In August 2021, a memorial sculpture by the Welsh artist Nathan Wyburn was installed at the Rhonda Heritage Museum. And that concludes the story of the Abervan disaster. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.